Hello and a very warm welcome to episode five of the Nature Friendly Farming Network podcast. My name is Ben Eagle, a farmer and podcaster from Essex. And during this series, we're talking to various farmers who've come together to champion a way of farming which is sustainable and good for nature. They come from a range of backgrounds, big and small, organic and conventional. But the one thing that they have in common is a passion for ensuring our countryside is productive and bursting with wildlife. And my name is Will Evans, also a farmer and podcaster from North Wales. Now, after the first four episodes where we talked to farmers from all four nations of the British Isles, today we are back in England. And in fact, some might say one of the most beautiful parts of England, because we're in South Cumbria to talk to James Robinson, or as many of you might know him from social media, JR from Strictly. James, welcome to the show. Good morning, Will, and good morning, Ben. How's things? Very well, thank you. Yeah, Very well. Place. No doubt the sun is shining up in Cumbria. Yeah, well, <laughs> liquid sunshine, <laughs> liquid sunshine. So, <laughs> it's already been a few showers of rain, but there's a beautiful red sky this morning. So uh, yeah, I've even I've even had time to put some some red sky pictures on Instagram this morning. <laughs> oh, lovely. Um, tell us about your farm, though, in, in terms of its um, location and landscape. First of all, well, we're we're about uh, three miles outside Kendal, South Cumbria. Um, it's quite a unique landscape. So we're not in the Lake District. We're the wrong side of Kendall from the lakes. So we're, what are we, about eight, seven, eight mile outside the Lake District um, boundary. But we've got a real unique landscape. Uh, it's um, it's uh, dominated by uh, drumlins. And if you remember from your geography GCSE days, um, <laughs> drumlins are like a glacial formed landscape. Uh, so when the glacial the, the glaciers were retreating back, they formed these sort of half, half egg-shaped um hills as it were um and deposited soils and things around them some people liken it to hobbiton really but it's rolling landscape <laughs> and then hairy feet um but yeah so it's uh, it's it, it's also dominated with hedgerows as well so we've got a lot of little small fields our average field size is five six acre and okay. um so we've got a lot of uh, small um small fields surrounded by these big hedges Okay. And uh, your family have been there strictly for a long time, haven't they? Yes. I'm the fifth generation. I've uh, got um, two sons, uh, one of which is quite keen. He'll be the sixth generation. We've been there since 1875 and uh, tenanted for the first uh, of uh, 60, 70 years and then and then bought uh, bought after that. And it's grown from a like 100-acre holding or sorry, 80 acre holding to start with mm. to 300 now so we've taken in um, what was strictly um three and a half farms really you know to make up uh, the, the one holding so yeah. um yeah it's uh, it's grown with it's grown as as every other farm has had had to grow with uh, with the sort of the scale and stuff so yeah, yeah. and the uh, and the business today so you have an organic dairy herd um tell us a bit about how your system works uh we are Oh, dairy shorthorns for starters. We've always been dairy shorthorns, so they've um, they've sort of led us right through from the beginning, really. Uh, all grassland, if we're doing any reseeding, we put some whole crop in as a cover crop, but other than that, it goes straight back to grass, so it's never out of grass for more than a couple of months. And, um, yeah, we've got high, we're a higher rainfall area, you know, we're sort of about 50, 55 inches of rain a year where we are. And... Uh, but we like to keep our cows out as long as we can. So we, we've got to manage our grassland as best we can to get the most out of the grass for the cows to milk. So we're milking 100 and, uh, we're about 130 in the herd. 110 went through the parlour this morning. And uh, that's our core business, really, is, is selling milk. 
you know that's uh, and selling organic milk you know we're uh, we've converted to organic <laughs> people always ask me how long we've been organic <laughs> and it's wrong, I, I wish I'd written the date down I never, I never actually know it's been I've, so long now you can't even yeah, remember yeah. I've been saying 14, 15 years for the last 3 or 4 years I think so <laughs> and um, but it's you know it just works really well with our with our type of cows we've got the type of ground we've got and, and our ethos as well really you know it just, just sits really well with all of ours yeah what, what are some of the characteristics of the short horns Ability to go out and walk to grass. Um, we, we've actually just fastened the door on them yesterday for the first time in the day. It just got far too wet. Even with a good set of tracks that we've got, we were just struggling to to not make a mess. Um, so we, we need them to walk out to grass. So they're going, I think our furthest grazing fields that they've been this year are about a mile and a quarter away down a track. So that's, you know, that's a, a lot of walking before they even uh, get to the grass. So we need to be able to do that. We need to, be able to convert that grass into into milk efficiently. So we want good feet, good legs, um, nice body capacity to convert that grass. Um, health traits as well. So we'll, because we're organic, we want them to be a healthy animal. So we don't want to be treating them with antibiotics and stuff. Um, and good facility as well. We need to get back in calf without too much hassle. So they're an easy to manage breed, robust, um, quite stoic as well, and just something that will look after itself. Mm. So in the 1950s and 60s, when a lot of people in the UK were moving away from native breeds towards the likes of Holstein Frisian, your family were obviously never tempted to follow suit. So why why was that? Um, I think well, we're pedigree breeders. You know, we've been pedigree for a hundred years. Well, more than a hundred mm. years now. Uh, Nineteen sixteen, seventeen, I think, was the first registered pedigree. Here. So because they were sort of they had a you know they had a vested interest in the in the breeding of them, um, they were keen to keep that. Uh, we've always been involved with the Short Horn Society as well. Uh, my granddad uh, was on, served on council for a lot of years. I'm a former president. Uh, so we've, we've always been involved with the society. And I think it's you know, when you've got that, that involvement and that sort of tie to them, um, tied to the breed uh, all the way through, then that, that's kind of that's kind of made a stick with them. Mm. And I think, well, now it's certainly... It's always paid dividends. It must have paid dividends, otherwise we wouldn't be here <laughs> milking them still. You know, no. we would have, we would have, yeah. uh, we would have given up. Um, yeah. But also, um, I think now, you know, more and more people are seeing the benefits of of a more robust um, easy yeah. to manage animal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you said you said you're not sure whether it's fourteen, fifteen, maybe eighteen or twenty years ago. <laughs> but let's go back to that organic conversion. Um, was that a difficult decision, and and what was the process of changing the system like in practice? I think uh, we'd looked at it. Well, we probably looked at it about twenty years ago, and milk prices were crap at the time. You know, they were rock bottom, and we're really struggling. We're really struggling to sort of find a way through, really, to keep the sort of farm going as a dairy farm. And we looked at we looked at organic at the time and we decided it wasn't for us. We, we, we convinced ourselves that we couldn't manage, we couldn't grow the grass. We couldn't keep the cows healthy, couldn't control weeds and stuff. And then we, and then a couple of years down the line, the milk price dipped again and went really, really low at that time. But, but organic at the time kept fairly high and there was a big margin. So at the time, you know, to be honest, we were looking at it in a, on a financial way, you know, because we we, the farm had to, had to survive. So it was a financial decision. And uh, so this, yes, it's probably, this is probably sort of 16 years ago it is. And then, um, yeah, 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. 
kids write dates down. <laughs> don't, don't, just, don't just make them up. And um, yeah, and and then we looked at it again, and we we're much more, you know, we we're much more open to to change and to you know and to and and to being able to to work around the problems. And and to be honest, once we once we'd taken the that leap, and it was a big leap, like a mental leap. I don't think. Um, I don't think financially, physically, for the farm, it was as much a leap as what we thought. But for us, I think we just getting our heads around it was probably the big thing. Mm. Uh, it was, um, yeah, it, it was quite an easy decision in the end. I think, and I'm kind of glad that we did. Mm. Uh, we can grow ninety percent of the grass that we could before. Um, so we're carrying, yeah, we're carrying about ninety percent of the stock that we were previous, but with zero inputs. You know, we're not buying that fifty ton of have bought in fertilizer that we were every year. Uh, we haven't used any pesticides in all that time. Uh, we've probably bred a healthier cow because we're, you know, with the antibiotic redu- use, the reduction in the use of antibiotics is, you know, that's come down so much that uh, the animals have been able to build up that natural resistance. Mastitis rates uh, and and health tra- and, and uh, cell counts on the cows are as good as anyone. Um, and I think probably better than way better than average actually in mm. terms of in terms of the other health um, mm. fertility is fine you know there the, the, the really isn't that many negatives at all that I could put my finger on now to mm. being organic to, you know from, from being a conventional farmer mm. it seems so, a bit of a no-brainer but it's, it's just that mental that mental leap originally you know just getting your head around and stop looking over your neighbour's gate to see maybe he's got, <laughs> he's got some grass in you know in, 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 in in early May, and I was his, I was his yellow, <laughs> miserable looking. Yeah. But you know, you just got to stop thinking. Uh, mm. No, you know, you you just got to just farm the the best that you can on the farm that you've got. And I think organic for us is the best that we can do. Yeah. So, how, what about docs? How do you deal with them? Are you out with a scythe in the evenings, like Ross Poldark, or, <laughs> or 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 a doc, or a docs just an issue of the mind as well? I think they probably are a state of mind. I think really, yeah. I think I probably did. Well, m- m- Michelle, my wife, she'll say that I, you know, I, I used to wake up early on in the thing, you know, sweating about dogs because it yeah. was that because you were you were obsessed, and mm. I think I think farmers are obsessed by tidying everything up that way. You know, we've got a, a dock is a the dock is an unsightly thing, and it yeah. shouldn't be in the field. Mm. But you know, there's well, farmers that spray have docks. You know, farmers that spray a field every other year for docks still have docks. <laughs> <laughs> So yes. you know, <laughs> bloody Will's putting his hand up there. Yeah. Um, so it's not, you know, it's it, it is yeah. it is a thing. And and to be honest, yeah, a dock might might crowd out a bit of grass, mm. and it isn't in terms of palatability. It's not as palatable, but it still can be eaten. You know, mm. in, in size, it gets mixed up, and it's fine. Uh, but it's also drawing up masses of minerals out of the ground that that a grass can't can't grow, can, can't can't pull up. Because so deep rooted, so you know, and and it helps with drainage, and and so it's mm. you know, it's not that mm. uh, yeah, they are a fairly rank thing to look at in terms, you know, the horrible monkey or dock lift doesn't look as good as a nice blade of grass, but mm. when you look at it as it's not a weed, it's just another plant, and you know, and as yeah. long as it's not as long as it's not um, reducing your grass yield too much that you can't be profitable, then you know, blimey, it's not that bad. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and and then we've also and then because we're not spraying because we probably have got more of a population of docks dotted around the farm, um, and we always did have these beetles, but now we've got a real, real population of the green dock beetle, 
that okay. do keep tabs on the docks. Right. And they okay. are a phenomenal, phenomenal creature, really. And if you, but they need that full growth cycle to, um, of, of docks scattered around your farm to be able to, to do their business. I forget, is it something like 17 days or something is, uh, is their growth cycle or something, uh, from a grub right through to a beetle to then laying the eggs and, and they need all that. And, and they do, you know, you see these, these black dock leaves in, uh, these, and, and they're just like a lace of, a lace of of, um, of of what's left of the leaf of fibers left in the leaf and on all the actual um, sort of juicy bit of the leaf has been eaten by these dock beetles and and they'll and they'll they'll go across a field you can see them going across a field uh, it, it, you know you, you obviously can't see the little things moving as, as you're watching them but you, uh, in within a few weeks they've gone from one side of the field to the other and, and of all the fields turned That's really the, cool. the docks have been eaten but you just need that whole isolation. You do, yeah. and 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 if we'd sprayed them, then the docks wouldn't be there, which then wouldn't support the dock beetle and stuff. So, and then those dock beetles, of course, then get eaten by all the the birds and 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 and, and, and bigger insects and things. So mm-hmm. it's all that you know, it's just that that uh, supply of invertebrates for for everything. Mm. It, it it seems like the organic way of farming sits well with your principles in general about the way you look after the landscape there um, and maybe even look at the world. Is that, is that a fair comment? Do you think? Um, I think so. Yeah. It's uh, very, very conscious of what we bring on to the farm, mm. you know, in terms of inputs. Um, we've actually taken soya out of the diet 12 months ago. Now soya and palm aren't out of the diet 12 months ago. Uh, and that was purely ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, having watched, watched a lot of, um, you know, news reports and, and dodgy BBC documentaries on on soya and stuff, and uh, yeah, it, you kind of think, wait a minute, why should why should they be growing soya in South America or China or wherever it is where it's grown to feed a wet dairy farm in Cumbria? That doesn't seem mm-hmm. quite right, really. We still go import a lot of feed we have, um, but we're trying to reduce as much as we can on that, and trying to you know trying to source as much UK as we can, which is tricky when you're buying from a feed mill on a compound feed. Yeah. Um, pulling the soya and palm oil out of the diet was a lot harder than we thought. The uh, the modern dairy cow seems to have been bred, according to nutritionists, anyways, uh, that it has to be fed with soya, which to me seems a bit bizarre, really. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, a lot of nutritionists really struggle to, to make a diet up to feed a cow without the inclusion of soya in it. So um, if that's the way we've gone, and we've gone the wrong way, I think. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk a bit about social media because there can't be many people listening to this who don't follow you on Twitter or Instagram uh, and enjoy seeing your pictures and comments that you post. Why did you initially start with it? Uh, just a proper farmer thing. Just wanted to know what other farmers are doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, it was, and it was better than looking over a hedge because you could look yeah. over. I could look over Will's hedge, and he's. he's <laughs> Don't look over my hedge. Full of dots, isn't it, Will? Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was just uh, just been purely noise and just just wanted to find out about stuff. It was uh, it was some some designs of cow tracks and something like that. It was it was it was it was a nothing sort of mm. thing to start with, and then um, and then you start chatting, you start putting a few pictures on, and you start uh, you start then getting comments from non-farmers about stuff and, and questions from non-farmers and things, and then you start and then you start targeting one or two pictures and comments and what have you more to the non-farmer side than you would the farmers. 
keeping it still, you know, keeping it still sort of fairly factual about what you're doing, but you can then maybe, you know, just make it a bit more accessible to non-fabs and stuff. And then all of a sudden you get more and more of those and stuff. So, um, and then you, and then you realize what tool you've got to communicate really, you know, so there's, um, you know, there's a, there's quite a lot of people follow me on Twitter and stuff that, that, you know, that are really keen to see what you're doing every day. And it might be the mundane walking the cows in, but they're still absolutely loving that type of thing. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, pre-coronavirus, um, you put out a request on social media to say, if anyone fancy coming to help with some hedge laying at your farm, um, you're more than welcome to come along. And you had a really enthusiastic response to that, didn't you? Yeah, it was hedge planting, actually. But yeah, oh, hedge planting, um, okay. <laughs> it was hedge planting, yeah. I don't know whether I trust too many people with a chainsaw. <laughs> 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 But but shovel's fine, yeah. Um, yeah, so we, uh, it was, we put in a, new, not a lot of new hedges. I think we put six, six, seven hundred metres in last year. So we had, um, yeah, so we had a couple of thousand thorns to plant fairly quickly as well because the season was getting to the end. Um, and it was on a scheme, so we had to get it in by a certain date. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, it, it, well, it was, it was really hardening, actually. And it, we could have probably got the thorn plants in and, and the hazel plants in and stuff. We, we probably could have done it ourselves. But it was more, I thought it would be good to get an involvement from people and get people, yeah. um, again, to see the work that goes into, you know, creating a hedgerow and stuff. Mm. And um, and that tie to the land and everything. And if it gives people, a, you know, a, something that they can look out for on either my social media posts, if they're from away off, or if they're local, they can stand on top of Helm, a big hill in behind our farm, and they can look down and see these hedges growing and stuff. So we've got, yeah, did we get eight, 17, 18 people come from as far away as, there was one from Manchester, one from wow. Durham, and so wow. driven specifically to come to plant hedges at our farm. And yeah. with no money, you know, with, with with no pay, other than other than a other than a sausage sausage bun that Booth's uh, supermarkets have very kindly provided um, <laughs> for us, um, which was really good of them. And all oh, they just wanted to be involved. They they could see that we we're trying to do a good thing and and want to be involved. So they provided the, the food and everything Fantastic. very kindly. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was just a really good day. You know, like a really really good day. We got Brilliant. loads done. Everyone just cracked on and worked. Uh, and they did graft as well, like you know. Yeah. I, was, I was struggling to keep pace with some of them, uh, and some were just sorting thorns. <laughs> some were just sorting thorns out, you know, counting them, and some were some were digging the holes, some were putting them in, some were putting the guards Brilliant. on, and it just worked well. It did, yeah. And and you know, and and everyone said, "When are you doing tomorrow? I want to I want to come back." So yeah, it's really good to show that there is that passion for yeah. you know, for coming on farm so and, and cool. just learning and doing really yeah 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 great team effort but do, do you think there's there's more scope for that on on other farms around the country i mean it feels yeah. like we're living in a time when anything that brings people together as a community is is really desperately needed um and coronavirus has, has really prompted a lot of conversations about mental health and the importance of being outdoors in nature um so can things like this play a part in that do you think yeah, I definitely. And I think I think farmers shouldn't be scared of getting people on on their farms as well. You know, I think people are farmers are very skeptical of of having out, outsiders in inverted commas come on and be that a member of the public or a or someone from an NGO, you know, wildlife group or whatever it might be. Um but you know, people just want to get on and they wanna and they wanna and they wanna help and they wanna do and there's there's such a massive um scope of uh, of 
well, not, not just labour and graft, but knowledge as well, uh, yeah. you know, outside. And if we can just involve as many outside people on our farm, um, especially doing stuff like that, you know, especially sort of creating something for the future, planting trees or or hedges or, you know, if you're doing a pond, anything that's going to, you know, improve things for the future, people would absolutely love to do that. Like, so mm. it's, um, yeah, we, 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 we as an industry shouldn't be afraid of outsiders coming on and we should really welcome them and get them involved. And then they can then, you know, they've got this, this story, this value behind the food that they're buying. Yeah. Mm. It's a connection, isn't it? I guess. So, yeah. bi- building on from that, you also host uh, school visits on the farm and have done for a number of years. Tell us about that and how it started. We've been having school visits. Um, yeah, all, since I want pop- you to give me the exact date when you start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, right. Uh, I'm going to say, <laughs> I have no clue. I'm going to say somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago. No, it'll be. It would be when our boys were at uh, nursery and then, okay. and then nursery wanted to come out. Hmm. Um, so Robert's just left school, so he's 16, so that kind of dates it. So we're probably, what, 13, 12, 13 years ago out mm-hmm. there. And, they, and they, they would come out and they would, you know, do a little farm tour thing, and they absolutely loved it. You know, they loved the, the, the you know, the feeding the animals and, and, the, and the going through the milking parlour and just running in fields and what have you, just getting a bit of space. And then... Once we got onto a stewardship scheme, a higher level stewardship scheme that had, uh, that had educational access, we could then put some better facilities in. So we've got actually a classroom now and in a converted building. We've got a toilet block. We've got a trailer that can um, safely move them down our road to the wood and the pond so we can do the pond dipping and the woodland. So, uh, um, what does Michelle do down there? Well, she'll do all sorts of stuff in the wood. She'll do bluebell painting. She'll do um, she'll do like woodland hunts and stuff where they've got to look for various things, like a treasure hunting type thing. Um, nature pirate, she calls it. So they've got to find all these things on the treasure map and then to find the treasure at the end. And uh, just the, the sort of the wonder in, in their faces. And we've got anything from, yeah, from preschool, from nursery school, coming right through to, um, to some early secondary school ones coming, and um, mainly from local. You know, the majority are from around Kendall, but uh, we, are, we have also had them last year or two from up Carlisle and down Preston where and stuff. So we're, you know, getting, getting a bit bigger mm-hmm. sport for them. Tell us more about some of the conservation work you've done on the farm. Um, we've obviously we've talked about hedges already. Um, what are some of the main improvements that you've made for nature? It probably all starts. It all started with hedges, actually. So we've been on a stewardship scheme. Uh, I think we were number one agreement in, in Cumbria for a country a countryside commission hedgerow incentive scheme, which was nineteen ninety one. Good date. Good date knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're so we're nearly thirty years in schemes now, mm. and those hedges that were planted and renewed and restored then have now been laid again for a second time. Um, so they've really tied everything up there. So we started with the hedges, and that's all it was, and you couldn't put any land on then. It was just, it was literally for hedgerows, um, which is a great place to start, really, you know, in terms of uh, improving your, the, uh, the habitats and wildlife on your farm. And then we started putting our bits of land in as well, uh, managed, managing different, different bits of land, different. Actually, pre-91, there was um, 1987-88, because it took two years. Um, we maybe granddad built a pond, dad and granddad created a pond, and it wasn't just a little pond, it's like a two acre pond in a wet area. Fenced that in with our ancient oak woodland, so there's 12, 13 acres of 
the area down there with a beck running through that is solely given over to wildlife. And that pond that was created from nothing now looks like it's been there forever. You know, it looks like yeah. it's been there being created by the, by these ice floors coming through. They did the drumlins. It looks like they've done the pond as well. Uh, so, and the stuff that's in around there is fantastic. And, and um, so that's changed in my, you know, since I was at school um, to, you know, and, Again, it just shows what you can do in your lifetime if you do something yeah. now in uh, you know in in a generation's time in you know in twenty twenty five years time when my when my boys are, are um at my age, you know it'll be uh, it, it'll be again a fantastic habitat. So yeah, it's it's just good to it's just good to know that you can make such a difference within your lifetime. Yeah. And unless you unless you can see it, then you know then you can't really um, justify in your head why you would bother doing it but if mm. you can see it you know, now i think well, I mean, let's just do more and more like yeah is, is there a species on the farm that you particularly enjoy seeing um yeah it's um this one and i'm pointing at kingfisher mug for, uh, them. Uh, <laughs> for them that are on uh, audio yeah it's um uh it's we see them probably once a week coming up and down our becks um so cool. and but then uh i didn't we didn't see any up until about um yeah probably 20 years ago was the first one we saw very very fleetingly and now we see them quite regularly now they've, they've actually nested on our farm as well because one few years ago we were actually watching uh three young kingfisher sort of doing their trial flights up and down the back they were really orangey colored so they didn't have that blue yet they're really orangey brown and they were flying up and down the back landed on the bridge and going back again and, and that, that was incredible to watch oh, um so to see them it still sends a shiver down my spine when I, and I always look up when it, cause you can hear them coming like, cause they're really sort of vocal when they're flying up the back. They've got a real distinctive call. And when you hear them coming up and down the back, you just want to turn and you want to see them. You know, even if it's just a, a yeah. glimpse of blue flash as it goes to the back, oh, that's still fantastic. Yeah. And that's still my favorite thing that's, that's come back, you know, in my lifetime. Yeah. What do you say to the skeptics? People who might say, well, that's okay for you on your farm, but it won't work on mine. You've got to just bite the bullet sometime and just get on and do it, you know, because mm. it's, like, it's like this, you know, it's like if you planted, the best time to plant the trees is 20 years ago and the next best time is today. Yeah. Um, same for a hedge, same for anything. you just got to get on and do it. And the, and if you delay it another five, six years, what's another five, six years before, whatever it is you were trying to do will reach maturity. Um, yeah, I think, and just look at other farms, you know, every farm's different. You know, every every farm is different, and stuff that works on my farm won't work next door. Never mind, you know, down in Essex. You know, it's not. It's 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 uh, everything is so localized, and you've just got to see what works in your locality. And we've got, there's such a vast amount of information around now. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to leave your your, your farm office to find out about everything these days. You don't have to travel. Mm. Uh, you can social media. There's, there's there's you know Google is and there's a fantastic. A network called the Nature Friendly Farming Network. As well. so, you know, <laughs> oh, you're such a pro, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's Just you know, the resources are just fantastic now, and I mm. think just get out and find out stuff. And it's an exciting bit, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah. it's planning and planning and and, uh, and 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 sort of discovering and yeah. And if you're mm. lucky enough to be able to have a wander around other people's farms, and blooming it, I mean, that's what farmers want to do. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that brings us on nicely then to Nature Friendly Farming Network. Um, how did your involvement with that come about? Uh, it was me wanting to be involved, really. I gave Martin a ring and um, 
it wasn't actually it was a message on message on Instagram I would think of something but um I just wanted to be involved more because I think you know I, I want um I want to learn you know I want to I, I want to find out more about about things there's loads of stuff that we want to do um and the nature friendly farming network seems to be this sort of the um it's rapidly becoming a sort of go-to place to uh, to, to to get information and, and it's and, and farmer led in, in, in information as well. It's stuff that's happened on farms, and it's farmers wanted to help farmers and mm. and help farmers promote what they do as well. You know the good stuff because there's so much negativity, and and there still is, and it's, it, it seems to be a never ending sort of um, hammering of, of of modern farming. And, and modern farming is a fantastic thing, really, in terms of food production, but also then this you know this sort of tying in with nature as well. Um, there's lots of talk now about nature-friendly farming, whether it be conservation ag or regenerative ag, nature-friendly ag, whatever whatever way you want to talk about it. Certainly more than there ever has been before. Whereas uh, for many decades in this country, the talk was always of production, more litres per cow, more tonnes per hectare, more kilos of meat per animal. So what I want to ask is what it's like for you to finally be back in fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The best thing about never being in fashion is that you. Is that you know, you're not fashion. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Don't try and be something you're not. I think, and you know, don't don't try and yeah, don't try and chase yields if you if your farm's not fit for chasing yields, mm. which I was isn't. So uh, no, I'm I'm quite happy, and I have no desire to milk. 300, 400 cows, and have ten thousand liters of cow and house them all year round. That is not me at all. Like. No, and, and our farm will be knackered within a few years, yeah. You'd have to go I'd be be even earlier in the morning then as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> what, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> I couldn't be doing with that. No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm quite happy with where we're farming now, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. James, uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, keep up the great work you're doing. And if coronavirus ever ends... <laughs> Maybe Ben and I can come up there to help you with some hedge planting at some point. I'd love that. I'd as love as that. long as we get sausage, uh, sausage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I promise <laughs> not, not coming up prom- otherwise. It's a long way. <laughs> and I promise not to give you the stony bit as well. Like, <laughs> I, 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 a nice deep sort of four or five inch of soil that we've got. I'd make sure. That's it for another episode. Thank you very much for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this latest episode of the NWFN podcast. Please spread the word on social media. And if you get a chance, rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening, as that's a really big help. The podcast is out every other Wednesday. So please let us know if there's anything you want to hear about in the nature-friendly farming world. And in the meantime, stay safe and we hope to see you all next time.